Hi, I'm Allison, and welcome to the Searching for Vitality podcast. Candice and I are the co-hosts, and we are interviewing health and wellness practitioners in the greater Omaha and Lincoln area with the goal of learning different ways to better our wellness. We are searching for ways to better our mind, body, and spirit, and invite you to follow along in our journey. Our hope is that this podcast inspires you to connect with various experts in our local community to build a team to help you along your own journey. We hope you enjoy this episode. Today we are talking with Dr. Jordan Davis. She is the owner and physical therapist of Motion Activated Physical Therapy. She is a board-certified orthopedic specialist. Thank you for talking with us. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah, of course. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here and um, get to talk more about physical therapy. So I graduated from the University of Nebraska Medical Center back in 2014. So I've been in the outpatient orthopedic world since then. And then just this January, I opened my own practice Um, motion-activated physical therapy. So I specialize in low back pain, neck pain, headaches, jaw pain. Um, I treat a lot of fitness athletes as well. I work inside of a CrossFit gym, so I see a lot of CrossFit athletes as well as runners, recreational athletes, lifters, um, everything like that. Awesome. Um, So what motivated you to really focus in on kind of those areas you mentioned? Um, I honestly was scared of them when I first graduated PT school. If you would have told me back then, hey, you have five patients on your schedule with low back pain, I would have been terrified for the day. Um, So I think I just wanted to learn more about it because it's so much more complex than, I mean, a knee goes one direction, right? It bends and it straightens. And of course, there's many different diagnoses within that. But the back and the neck, there's so much more that goes into it. And I'm like, I actually want to learn more about this and be able to better help these patients. Cause I feel like a lot of times since there is so much that goes into it, they don't always get the best care. Cause sometimes us as clinicians are just like, well, I don't know, (laughs) you know, it can be coming from your low back. It can be coming from your hip. It could be coming from your neck, your shoulder. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to be able to better help these patients that came in. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's really cool how, you know, it was kind of an area that you were maybe a little fearful of in the beginning and um, you really dove in and tried to understand it more and kind of conquered that. And now it's an area that you specialize in. So that's pretty neat. Yeah. Um. So can you talk a little bit more about what some causes of low back pain are? Yeah. So there's several different causes. So this is kind of a complicated area because it could be from almost anything. Um, But some of the main ones, so you have your nonspecific low back pain, which is kind of your acute mechanical low back pain. So someone comes in, they're like, my back just started hurting. No injury to it or anything like that necessarily. Um, A lot of that is more your sprains and strains for your low back. So you might have done a lift that you weren't necessarily prepared for, hadn't done before, and your back wasn't quite ready to handle that, or you went out gardening for the first time this year and did a lot of that repetitive bending, lifting, twisting motions, and just kind of flared up those muscles and joints in your back. Um, It could even be like line work, production work, doing a lot of that repetitive movement, 
day after day, um, those muscles and joints in the back just kind of get irritated and inflamed and injured that way. Um, another cause for low back pain can be herniated discs. This is what we hear a lot about. Um, again, it could be you lifted funny or you bent a different way and that disc can herniate um, and push on those nerves in your spine. So a lot of times you'll see some numbness and tingling down one leg or both legs when you get this. And I think a lot of people here are herniated disc and they freak out and, oh my gosh, I have to get imaging right away. You know, something's seriously wrong with me. When actually the new guidelines that are out don't recommend getting an MRI unless if there's been some sort of trauma or hard neurologic signs like weakness, um, sudden numbness and tingling down both legs, things like that, they recommend getting PT and doing exercise first. Um, and one of the classes that I've taken, they said, think of herniated discs, such as um, like wrinkles in the spine. So just as we get wrinkles in our face, as we get older, we tend to have herniated discs in our spine as we get older as well. They can start in your thirties and gradually progress as you get older. So I tell my patients that a lot, like don't get freaked out if you get this diagnosis of a herniated disc. It's just the process with aging. Um, a lot of times they can spontaneously go back in on their own. Conservative treatment is very manageable with these things. Um, so nothing to really freak out about there. Um, there's other studies that show you can get 10 different images and get 10 different results. So just because your MRI says one thing, one place you can go somewhere else and they're gonna say something completely different. So I try to tell my patients not to put too much weight into any imaging they get. Um, and just kind of calm down and we can get you feeling better. Um, along with that goes sciatica. So the numbness down the back of the leg all the way down to the foot sometimes that people experience, um, that nerve's just getting pinched somewhere along um, from the lower spine, sometimes into your buttocks muscles, that nerve can just get irritated in there. So there's different things we can do to help that. And then your SI joint, so like where your tailbone meets your pelvic bone, um, you have two SI joints, one on either side of the spine there. And sometimes you can get kind of irritated or stuck in that joint as well. And then with that sciatic pain or the herniated disc, uh, with some of your patients, do they start feeling that kind of the numbness and tingling before the back pain? Do they kind of know it's going to start coming up or is that kind of one of the big, you know, telltale signs that you know that you need to address something? It's kind of hit and miss. Um, some people have no back pain and they'll only have leg pain. And that's when we have to make sure we really screen the back and is it your leg or is it actually coming from your back? Um, some people will only have back pain. They won't have the numbness down their leg with a herniated disc. So it kind of goes back and forth, just kind of depends on the patient. So what are some of the treatments that you use um, to help with low back pain? Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times um, strengthening is a big part of what I do. So um, do a full evaluation on the patient, obviously see exactly what's going on with them. And then I do a lot of spinal manipulations and mobilizations. So just those quick stretches where you might hear a pop or click in the spine. And what that does, it's just kind of like a neuro reset for the body, just gets things to calm down, relax, get some of that inflammation out of there. It can kind of act like a pump system to kind of pump some of those inflammatory chemicals out, help bring good chemicals to that area, help with blood flow and everything. 
And then once we get things calmed down, I also do a lot of dry needling. Um, I don't know if you guys know what that is, um, but where you take a very fine needle, like an acupuncture needle, but what we do is go directly into those muscles where you have those knots and that tightness or that dysfunction um, and go straight in there, leave them in for a couple minutes and it gets those muscles to calm down, relax. Again, kind of like a neuro reset for that whole body. And then once things are calmed down, we can start working into the stretches and the exercises and really work on getting that back strong again so you can prevent those injuries from happening again. And even with these um, injuries, there's times, because I've definitely, I mentioned it a lot of times on here before, like I had really bad sciatic pain. And there's times that I would always be told to honestly, honestly, like start doing the opposite of what is, I guess, told now. Like if I was in a lot of back pain, you want to lean forward. And then instead I was told to now lean backward um, or just like daily stretches. Do you still recommend, are you recommending things that before, how do I wear? They kind of told you to do one thing or like I would have back pain and I would hear just put ice it, just ice it and sit. And then now I'm big, I was told like, do not do that. Absolutely not. Like, is that what was, what would be your recommendations for those as well? Yes, I would agree more towards the latter side. So the newer research has come out and saying being active is the best thing for it. Again, gets that blood moving, kind of acts as a pump, get that inflammation out of there. So if you just go sit and rest, you're just letting that inflammation kind of build up in there um, and not really doing anything to speed the healing process up. And then anti-inflammatories and ice can sometimes actually inhibit the healing process. Um, so they recommend not doing that as much anymore but just get moving, get active. And there are certain techniques um, with the, like leaning forward or leaning back, like you were talking about, there's different nerve flossing and nerve threading techniques where we kind of want to go into that pain and cause a little bit of that nerve irritation. So that'd be more of that bending forward. And then there's other techniques where we want to avoid that and get that range of motion back in the other directions where we're not causing pain. So that's kind of patient dependent, which direction we want to go with that. Yeah, and that um, kind of made me think of another question um, somewhat related to Candace's comment about like how you're sitting and um, kind of how it's affecting anything, everything. Um, can you talk about like posture and how maybe like poor posture can contribute to um, back pain or even neck pain or headaches and kind of what are things that people can do because you know, I noticed that in myself, like I'll catch myself like with horrible posture. Most of the time it's like when I'm working or, you know, watching TV or scrolling my phone or whatever I'm doing, and then I'll try to re correct myself. Um, but I, I think like, as soon as I'm like back into what I'm doing and thinking about, um, I go back to my like old habit with bad posture. Um, so can you kind of talk a little bit about posture and how it correlates with everything? Yeah. So I don't know if you guys have heard the saying that your best posture is your next posture. So that means just keep up, get moving. Um, don't sit in one position for too long. Um, they used to say, you know, you have to sit up straight with your shoulders back and everything like that. But now they're saying sit however's most comfortable for you. Um, you ideally want your feet flat on the floor um, hips and knees at 90 degrees, nice supportive chair for your back and everything. 
Um, but the most important thing is just keep moving. So sometimes I'll have patients, if they have a desk job, I'll have them set a timer for 30 minutes to an hour and just get up, walk around, stand up for 30 seconds to a minute, and then go sit back down again. So I think that's the biggest thing is just don't stay somewhere for longer than an hour because that's when you're going to develop that pain. You know, we start having that forward head posture when we're sitting at the computer all day or even on our phone, on our tablets, looking down all day. So if we can just get up and move, that's going to be the best thing to help prevent some of that pain. And then kind of along the same lines with moving, can you also talk about how physical fitness and exercise impacts um, everything and um, can kind of be a prevention tool? Um, is it just being active and moving and walking or are there other, um, you know, strength training and other things that we should be doing? For I think being active and just up moving, walking is a great start, um, but strengthening definitely plays a role in it. I think us Americans as a society are very sedentary. A lot of us have sedentary jobs and then the majority of us don't work out. There's a very slim population that actually gets the recommended amount of daily exercise, which is 150 minutes of physical activity a week plus um, three days of strength training. And I think it's only like 10% of the population is even getting that recommended amount. So strength training is definitely important and the right strength training exercises. Um, I think a lot of people don't necessarily focus on like their low back for strengthening. Um, so doing things such as deadlifts, um, you can do so many different variations of deadlifts. I also have people do Chinese planks. So it's where you're on your back with like your shoulders on a bench and your feet on a bench and you're just kind of laying flat um, on that, looking like up towards the ceiling. That's a good one to help with your back. Um, doing like plank holds, different things like that. Um, yeah, that's great to know. Um, I, uh, recently got a new job and in my building, I have access to a gym and, um, I was like walking down there to scope it all out because my goal is to start using it and start doing some strength training, um, a few times a week. But it's so intimidating for me because I have no idea like where to even start and like what exercises to do. Um, so even just like the few recommendations that you gave, I think is super helpful just as a starting point for people who may be experiencing back pain and other issues, but they don't really know where to start um, for like what exercises can be helpful um, to help prevent like further pain. Mm -hmm. And even exercises such as heavy carries, like you can pick up some dumbbells that are fairly heavy for you and just walk with them, making sure you're not leaning side to side. That's going to be a good one for the whole body because it's going to be good postural strengthening, making sure you're keeping those shoulders back when you're doing it. Good core strengthening, making sure you're not um, like waving side to side as you're doing it. Good hip strengthening. So it doesn't have to be anything super fancy or intimidating, just honestly pick up some heavy weight and <laughs> move we even uh, thought too before uh we were interviewing you and I was looking at stuff on Instagram or Instagram and I just really loved I know you do CrossFit and there's some that you showed of like moves that you did at CrossFit but then moves you do for everyday living mm -hmm. and I just felt like that is such a great way to put it because 
I, I mean, I've done CrossFit briefly or I'll also work out or do weights. And you're like, well, when am I ever going to do this? And then when you're showing like lifting properly, moving properly, and you do put that in your everyday life. And I think if you, like I've done that, or I think maybe majority of people do as well is when you're working out, you think it's just, you know, lifting weights or moving and it's your, it's just designated to that workout session, but it, you can use that in so many aspects of your life. So then you don't have that back pain or don't have those issues if you're moving properly. So I just want to mention that just because when I saw that, I was like, that is genius to show like how that helps you out through your daily life. Mm -hmm. We use that a lot with the older adult population as well, because a lot of times they don't really understand, well, why are you having me squat or why are you having me deadlift? It's like, well, so you can pick up that 20 pound laundry basket and go up and down the stairs with it. You know, you're not doing multiple loads or carries at a time because you can't do it or so you can get on and off the toilet or in and out of a chair things like that so are there any um like red flags or warning signs that um, somebody should be aware of if they're experiencing um, like low back pain um that they should you know maybe seek an expert's opinion rather than you know try to work through it on their own mm -hmm. Um, definitely if there's any signs of cancer, so sudden weight loss over the age of 50, um, night pain, just pain that won't go away. Like when you change positions, usually that'll help your pain. But if it's just not going away, that's usually a sign that it's something else. Um, bowel and bladder changes that are fairly sudden onset. Um, and then any like sudden onset of weakness. So like you just wake up and can't move your legs, things like that are some of the main red flags. And then um, with jaw pain, uh, what are some of the common causes of jaw pain and how can they be uh, managed? Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times it'll be that clenching, grinding that you hear for jaw pain. So a lot of times people that are stressed they'll start grinding. They might grind mostly at night and you'll wake up with a really sore jaw or headaches. Um, sometimes you'll clench during the day. Like I have a lot of patients that if they do a lot of desk work, they'll notice if they're really hard into a project, they'll take a break. They're like, oh, I've been clenching that whole entire time I was sitting at my desk. Um, other times, so headaches and neck pain can also play into jaw pain. So a lot of times patients that have jaw pain also have the headaches and the neck pain that I'm treating as well, or vice versa. They'll come in with headaches and neck pain and I'll look at their jaw and they're also usually a clencher or grinder. Um, trauma, obviously, if you get hit in the mouth at all, that can cause displacement of the discs in your jaw or misalignment of the jaw. Um, sometimes just having those tight muscles can pull on that disc and then you'll get that clicking and popping when you open and close your mouth because that disc isn't moving forward and backwards like it should. Yeah, I had um, a lot of issues with teeth grinding when um, I was at a point in my life where I was really stressed and I was having a lot of anxiety. Um, and yeah, I would get sometimes like that clicking and popping noise and my shoulders were super tight and that people would be like, oh, I heard you grinding your teeth while you were sleeping. And um, yeah, I would just wake up and it was like my teeth actually like felt sore. And it was crazy because kind of once I got rid of all that stress and figured out better ways to manage it, 
um, you know, cleaned up my lifestyle, changed my sleeping habits, um, you know, stepped away from the stressful work environment that I was in, um, it went away. So I think that's always so interesting. Like there's always, um, I think that sometimes it's not just like one thing that's causing it. Like it can be um, multiple things that are causing it. And sometimes it's just a matter of like starting to peel back the layers um, and get to like the root cause and make, sometimes it's just lifestyle changes and changing up your life and, you know, being more active, getting better sleep and all those things. Um, do you work with your patients on kind of like, you know, what are some of the different things they can do within their lifestyle um, to kind of help combat some of these things that may be stress induced as well? Yes, um, that's actually on my intake form, how they feel about their sleep and their nutrition and their stress level. And if I see that it's poor for any of those, that's a conversation I'm having with them. Because if they're not getting that recommended seven to nine hours of sleep a night, that's going to impact their healing and impact their stress and everything else and just kind of like a cascade effect. Um, and if you're not addressing that, you can fix that injury but it's gonna either keep coming back or it's probably not going to get fixed because like you said, there's many different layers that you have to peel back with somebody and really get to those root causes of what's going on sometimes. Um, so yeah, we'll talk about stress management if they need to do some sort of meditation or like the Headspace app or something like that or journaling just to kind of have an outlet for their stress or maybe working out's their outlet for stress and now they're injured and they can't do that like they used to. So what's something else that we can do to help manage that? Um, and then I talk a lot about nutrition too, uh, making sure they're getting the recommended intake of protein to help with that healing, um, limiting those inflammatory foods, the processed foods, sugar intake, everything like that. So if somebody like me, for example, doesn't do much strength training and I'm planning to start and be more active, um, does the recommended intake for protein increase or is it kind of at the same level, um, no matter what activity you're doing? It increases just because you are being more active. And if you want to gain muscle, you need to increase that protein intake to be able to gain that muscle. Yep. Do you have any, um, success stories that you could share with us, um, or ways that you were able to like effectively help somebody um, treat the pain that they were having? Um, I think the biggest one is with headaches. So I'll have several patients that come in and they've had chronic headaches for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and their daily headaches and they're missing work because of them sometimes and just not a good lifestyle. You know, you start to get depressed because of them or anxious and things like that. And they'll see me for a couple visits and they might go from daily headaches to one or two headaches a week in just a couple visits, which is amazing because their whole lifestyle changes then. They can work more, they can go to school, they can take care of their kids, whatever it may be. And then after a few visits, I've had patients that are down to one headache a month or one headache every couple months. And it's just a lot of people don't think that physical therapy can help with that. And it's such an not easy fix, but relatively easy fix. And we can make just such huge lifestyle changes for these people. 
So can you give us an example of some of the things that you were specifically, that you specifically do to help somebody that may be having like chronic headaches reduce those? Mm -hmm. um, so one of the biggest types of headaches that physical therapy can help with, they're called cervicogenic headaches. So they're the ones that start like in the base of your skull and they can come up and wrap around and usually kind of sit behind the eye as well. So I'll do a lot of cervical manipulations for that, um, the upper cervical and mid cervical spine, again, dry needling. So we can needle those muscles at the um, base of your head, as well as the upper trap, because a lot of times that upper trap stress can contribute to those headaches. So if we can get those upper traps to calm down, that'll take away a lot of that headache pain. Um, and then it's a lot of stretches, postural strengthening again. So if we can just get those muscles stronger, teach them correct posture. So they're not sitting with that forward head, putting extra stress on those muscles that can help a lot. Um, it can also help with migraines as well. I talk with my patients a lot about stress management and nutrition intake with migraines too, because there can be so many triggers that can affect those. Um, and if I'm just treating the muscles and the joints related to that headache, we're never getting to that root cause of that migraine necessarily, if it's something food triggering, you know, but we can still help a lot with the pain. Is there ever an instance where um, symptoms could initially get worse before they get better when they start physical therapy? Or is it pretty much that people experience immediate relief? No, they can definitely not necessarily get worse, but you can be more sore after your first yeah. couple of sessions of therapy, especially with dry needling. A lot of times you'll have muscle soreness a day or two afterwards, but that pain should be better. So it should be a different type of soreness. Um, or even if I take you through exercises that you've never done before, you're probably going to be a little sore, but that pain should start feeling better. Yeah, I know I've had dry needling done before and I think I was surprised. Like I've also had acupuncture done and I think maybe my expectations were like, oh, they're going to stick in these little needles like acupuncture, but it was so different. Like I felt it like it was in my like glutes and I felt it like all the way down my leg. It was crazy. Yes, <laughs> definitely yeah. a different feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, how often do you recommend people do like dry needling? Um, like, is it, can you overdo it or is it something um, that it just depends on a per needed basis and how the person's feeling or how often can people get that done? It depends on the patient, but you don't want to do it every day because you are causing little micro traumas in those fibers when you're sticking a needle in there. So you want to have at least a day or two of rest in between needling sessions. But I have some people that want it done three times a week, especially in the beginning to try to get better faster, essentially. I have people that come in just once once a month for a little tune-up, um, or if they have some big race or competition coming up, they might want to get needled before it, like a couple days before to make sure they're not sore, or even a couple days afterwards to help with some of that post-event soreness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, no, go ahead. I was going to say, oh, even for headaches, I have some patients that are just kind of on a maintenance program, like once a month. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what they come in for as well as some of that dry needling just to help stave off those headaches from coming back again. Well, that's something I would never even think of to go to a physical therapist for headaches. Like, I grew up, um, thankfully I, they're gone, but I would have these horrible migraines to the point that I would throw up or almost change yeah. personalities in a I way. I don't think I knew that. 
You, you didn't? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, I would say from almost five to 15. And it was really bad between like 10 to 15 that um, I would, they would do MR, this is also in the 90s. So like they would do MRIs and they couldn't figure out what's going on. And the best way to ignore that or get that migraine to go away was I would like close myself off in a dark room and just lay there. So I can kind of feel for, and I have friends that have migraines. So I feel for them because like you can't do anything. It feels like a hammer is just pounding you all the time. And I don't know why they went away or anything, but um, they couldn't figure out why they started. But then, yeah, you can't really function. You can't do anything. And so for physical therapy, that's something I was like, I would never think to go to someone like that or dry needling. And I do have a few friends that have chronic headaches and I'm going to probably recommend you to them because they said they've tried everything and nothing works. They have them all the time and you can't, you can't function. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, not a fun way to live at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I think probably also like you're on pain medication all the time, you know, and that's probably not super healthy either. So if you have a different way that you can get relief, um, I think that's an awesome option. Mm-hmm. Definitely get off some of those medications is always a good benefit. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the misconceptions or myths that um, you hear around like, pain and pain management? And then how do you address those? Yeah, um, I think some of the big ones are kind of things we talked about already. Um, patients think they immediately need imaging if they have any sort of neck or back pain, when reality, like I said, you don't. Um, the new clinical practice guidelines recommend no imaging unless if there's trauma or neurological symptoms. Um, and the exercise and manipulation um, are the best routes of treatment for nonspecific low back pain. Um, So if a patient has had imaging, I definitely take that into account and I'll look at it if they want me to. But I tell them, you know, I treat based off of your symptoms. What the MRI shows me doesn't necessarily change how I'm going to treat you. I'm going to treat you based on how you present to me. And usually they're like, okay, that makes sense. You know, I want you to treat what I'm coming in with this day, not necessarily what my MRI says. And so usually they're pretty on board that way. Um, another myth I think is that as soon as you're injured, you have to rest for, you know, X amount of weeks and I'll tell patients, no, again, the new guidelines are, you're going to get better faster, the more active you are. And I'll explain those benefits of decreasing the inflammation by getting that heart rate up and getting the blood pumping and everything. And it's always nice too, if I can show them within session, you know, I can do things to show them, hey, we're going to do these couple exercises and you're going to feel better. And they walk out feeling better. They have that buy-in immediately like, oh, you're right. I should be moving. This actually does feel better once I get moving. Um, I think another thing is they were told by someone at some point along the way that I can never do X, Y, and Z again, or I can never squat again because I have bad knees, or I can never bend forward again because that's how I hurt my back. So that's where we kind of have to take a step back and take into account, this is what this patient believes and that's definitely going to affect their therapy. Um, But again, just build that therapeutic alliance and that trust with them that, hey, we're gonna slowly kind of work into some of these things and see how you feel. And once they see, oh, I can do that and it didn't hurt, that builds that trust to keep moving even further down that route. 
And then even with the, you mentioned some of the people where they kind of felt like, oh, I can never do this. Well, one of my thoughts or questions came to mind. Do you have, I'm assuming it might be the older population where they're always told that you're supposed to feel that pain or they're, let's say they have a leg pain or a chest pain and they're kind of told, or they just thought, oh, I'll just live with it. And then they go to you and then finally realize like, oh, I don't have to live with this. I can be relieved of that, that pain. Do you get that a lot? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it actually is headaches. People, I've had some people be like, oh, I just thought it was normal to have headaches all the time. I'm like, no, it's not normal to have headaches all the time. <laughs> you shouldn't have to live like that. Or, oh, I'm just getting older. It's just normal to have knee pain. No, there's plenty of people out there that don't have knee pain and they're the same age, you know? So. Yeah. And kind of like on the point that you were talking about too, kind of around like people coming in with like limiting beliefs, um, you know, like I also assume that that can hinder some of their progress if they come in with these limiting beliefs. Um, how do you go about addressing that? Um, you know, I'm assuming there's some, maybe some re-education and, um, motivation and different things, but how do you handle that when people do have this really strong limiting beliefs? Mm-hmm. but they can't do something. Yes. Um, there's a lot of research out there that shows if a patient believes they're going to get better, they will get better. And if they believe they're not going to get better, they're not going to get better. Um, so a lot of it's just um, like persistent pain management and chronic pain management. There's such a mental game with all these patients and you just have to build that therapeutic alliance. Um, a lot of them, I think, have been through the medical system ringer by the time they get to me and they have those beliefs and maybe it's they haven't felt like they've been heard by other medical professionals so sometimes you just have to sit down and listen to them and let them tell their story and tell the process they went through because sometimes that's the biggest thing they just need to get some of this off their chest so they can move forward with the healing process Um, And then again, just move slowly with these patients, show them little wins like, hey, when you came in today, you couldn't get up out of that chair. But now once you're leaving my office, you got up out of that chair without any pain or with three out of 10 pain, you know, show them those little wins because they might not even realize that in their day to day life. Um, So just really building that trust with them, taking it slow. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, like that they may not always realize the progress they're making um, because it's happening slowly over their day-to-day life. But, you know, when you see them a couple times a week, it's easier for you to see and point that out. Um, yeah, so that's really cool that you're able to kind of show them the wins that they're having when maybe they're not even aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you provide some tips or strategies that you have for um, our listeners for how they can prevent or manage um, like these types of pain in their everyday life? I would say the biggest one is just get up and move. Um, Like I said, your best posture is your next posture. So if you're someone that sits a lot for your work or just daily activity, just get up and move as much as you can, get those steps in. Um, Make sure you're getting enough sleep, getting that seven to nine hours of sleep if you can. Uh, make sure you're eating mostly whole natural foods, you know, limiting those sugars and those inflammatory foods. That's going to be a big part to help with that pain cycle. Um, stress management, try to find some outlet 
whether it's working out or journaling or meditation, something like that, just to keep those stress levels low to help with the pain as well. Um, and I would also say find a good support team, whether that's friends that can maybe help you out along the way, or like myself as a physical therapist, if you want to start getting into like a strengthening routine to help prevent some of this pain and get stronger or a personal trainer that you like or something like that. Just try to build a good support system around yourself. Yeah, I think that's so important. Uh, and that kind of brings me to another thought that I may have that maybe people are hesitant to reach out to someone like yourself, um, a physical therapist. Um, because, you know, I think that, you know, based on our discussion, everything that you do is, you know, so holistic and so much more, um, than just like, oh, I have this pain. I've tried everything else. This is my last resort. Like, I think that you can be used, um, also like on the front end as a prevention, as a first stop. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and kind of what your recommendation is to people, um, if they feel like they are ready and want to take the next step and um, maybe see somebody like yourself? Yeah, um, I would love for physical therapy to be more on the preventative side of medicine. I would love for our whole medical <laughs> field to be more preventative than reactionary. Um, I know I myself offer free 15 minute consultations. So if anybody is ever hesitant, they can call me, they can stop in and I'd be more than happy to chat with them about what's going on and see if physical therapy is a good fit for them. See if I'm a good fit for them. Maybe I'm not a good fit for them, but I have other recommendations that I can give to them of other practitioners that might be a better match for them if I don't think we're a good fit for each other, if they don't think we're a good fit for each other. And I think a lot of practitioners now are like that. Like we want you to have success, you know? So if we're not a good fit for each other, you're probably not going to have as good a success. So I think a lot of good practitioners are offering those consultations to learn more about what's going on in your life, kind of the way I treat and do things um, and see if that's going to be a good fit. So if somebody does want to work with you, how would they reach out and connect with you? Uh-huh. Um, I have a website, motionactivatedpt.com. Um, my phone number and everything is listed on that site. I also have Instagram and Facebook pages, so you can always message me on there as well. Awesome. Um, Candice, do you have any other last minute questions before we wrap up? No? All right. Well, thank you, Jordan, so much um, for being with here and giving us such a great overview of what you do, um, the areas you specialize in, giving some great advice. Um, I think that this episode is going to be super informative and helpful for our listeners. Yeah, thank you guys again for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, friends. If you like what you heard on this episode, please subscribe to our show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you can be notified of new episodes. Please leave us a rating and review to help others find our podcasts, and we love reading your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at Rooted Vitality and let us know if there are any topics you would like us to discuss or dive deeper into. If you are a health and wellness practitioner and would like to be a guest on our podcast, please message us. We love hearing from our listeners.